On today's show, we'll be talking about what will inspire you to up your culinary game in 2022, share our dining in and out experiences, upcoming closures like Cafe Press and openings like the Tapas Restaurant that will replace it, industry news and upcoming events. You'll hear it all on the Seattle Dining Show. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... The Canyon River Grill, located in the heart of Yakima Canyon. Experience Chef Kevin Davis's meticulously crafted and delicious cuisine alongside the Yakima River. Extend your stay in overnight in one of the Canyon River Ranch's exquisite suites. Visit the website at canyonrivergrill.com for hours and reservations. Hi, this is Chef Bill Raniger from Duke's Chatterhouse, and welcome to the Seattle Dining Show. Coming to you live from the Test Kitchen Studio high atop Queen Anne Hill, it is time for the Seattle Dining Show. Join us as we explore news about Northwest restaurants, take a look at upcoming events, discover new kitchen tips you can use at home, dive into great recipes, and much more. And now, here's your host, the senior editor, Connie Adams, and whoever else just happened to drop by today. Welcome to our January show, the first Seattle dining show of 2022, 2201. Break out the little hats and hooters. (laughs) We all know that that is Tom Marin, the uh, publisher and owner of Seattle Dining, and I'm Connie Adams, senior editor. And we are here to talk about what is going on in the world right now, of course, food-wise. Yeah, because I've been living in snow boots for a week now. I know. At least you've been out. My little car has not left the garage. Every morning I get up and shovel snow and sprinkle salt, and it's like a whole new world. It is, and may it end soon. <laughs> I, uh, I I love the snow. It is absolutely beautiful, but I'm not really a winter sports fanatic. Or I'm not a sports fanatic. So being cold and doing sports... That's so interesting to me. Yeah, and, and you know, even if your house is warm, if it's cold outside, does that tend to light up people's rheumatoid arthritis? I don't know. I wonder about that. Because I, I feel the heat around me, but it feels like these fake therms floating around mm. me. It doesn't feel like, like, like real warm air, you know? Yeah, and despite the fact that I'm incredibly youthful, I have been feeling the uh, stiffness in my joints. So, I don't know. All my joints are in the cookies, so. (laughs) Speaking of eating, we were talking about, we always talk about where we've been eating out. And honestly, for uh, last month, where, you know, we always talk about the previous month, I really have not gone out anywhere new. I've gone to places that we've talked about before, so I don't want to just yabber on about those. Um, So the only one I'm going to talk about is someplace I have gone before and talked about before, but it's Duke Seafood, and we went to the Green Lake. Thing. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because they used to get their grass-fed burger meat from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And that became not a good deal and not a good lack of carbon footprint kind of thing. So they're getting it from Oregon now. No, they're getting oh, it from Royal City. Oh, oh that's right, Royal Washington. City. That's right. We talked about that. Anybody who doesn't know where Royal City is, if you're driving east on I-90 and you go over the Columbia River Bridge, you take the exit – and continue east on whatever that highway number is, 22, I think it is. Yeah. And you'll wind up near Royal City. And they're doing a fabulous job. Now, not all of their cattle are um, 
completely sustainable, no zero carbon footprint. But a lot of it is in in any case. That's where Dukes is getting their grass fed burger meat. So I really wanted to try that, and I thought it was quite good. I'd do it again. I took a bite of yours. It was quite good. Yeah, I really liked it. I'd have that again. Me too. And that was kind of. And that that's was, where they're getting all the meat from for the Climate Pledge Arena. Exactly. So. Exactly. So, uh, you know, it was a it was a very good experience today. How about you? Have you eaten out at all? Uh, well, I got a euro uh, down the street. <laughs> <laughs> We've been out of control in December. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I've just been eating, I guess, at my usual places. Yeah, I think that's the thing. We didn't really... Uh, make any wild plans we were gonna we we go we try to go out once something's brand new once with some friends and i don't know what happened it got canceled or something we didn't do it this month i don't know did i mention it last month that i went up to the uh what's that tacos tacos and beer you may have and uh had their uh mole cheese enchilada really good they make a really good mole there Mm. Mm. And the then, deeper, uh, darker kind. I don't think I, I don't think we mentioned before that they reopened Louisa's. We did talk about that. We did, and yeah. how they don't wash their beans, so stay away. Yeah, yeah, from the beans. Oh uh, yeah. Would you stay away from everything? If we're not washing the beans, what else are we not doing? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, so slow slow mo for us eating out, and then home meals. The two I came up with. Um, on Christmas night, I made some glazed carrots, and the recipe was really just about whatever olive oil and whatever balsamic. So I decided I just wanted to try something different. So I used elderberry balsamic and basil olive oil. And I did try it mixed together before I did it. I think it's okay, but I think what happened, I didn't like them. And I, I under- you put that on the carrots after you take them out of the No, 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 no. It cooked, you're supposed to caramelized oh, the balsamic. Oh, okay, gotcha. So, um, but I think maybe what happened, it wasn't so much the flavors that didn't go together, but the fact that the elderberry is kind of a sweeter balsamic and basil is more savory. Mm-hmm. And I, I did undercook them a little bit, but I, I wasn't crazy about them. So I, I would probably try it again and, and not try to be clever with my flavored olives and oils, olives and oils, balsamics and oils. Mm-hmm. But the next morning, did you have a comment on that? I don't think you liked them. Uh, no, in fact, I remember I think I took a bite and just pushed the rest away. Yeah, you didn't eat any of them. Um, the next morning, I made an omelet with chanterelles, gruyere cheese, and tarragon. And I do know that you ate every bite of that. That was good. That was good. It was. You're going to publish that, right? Yeah, okay. I'll put that in. Yeah, that was nice. That worked out very well. And it was, now, did you kind of make that up yourself? Did no, I found that. I think it was a food and wine oh, okay. thing. But since you're going to put all organic ingredients in it, it does no become longer. your recipe. Yes, it's no longer food and wine. So, And there, there's, there might have been um, some oil in there, which I would have made use some different kind of oil than they would have suggested. So. We'll publish that in any case. Yeah. Just change, all you got to do is change two ingredients and you're home. Yeah. No longer <laughs> we there. We know all the legal stuff over here. <laughs> and if I spell omelet a different way, there you go. Yeah, you put a little apostrophe on the end of it. Omelette. <laughs> <laughs> and how 
how about you? You made something fabulous for Christmas Man, night. did we have the best prime rib ever or what? So, you know that we published that article on how to make prime rib the way they do at Victor Tavern. Because we were so impressed with it. Because it was so good. And so uh, what I really took away from that wasn't the technique of cooking it, but it was the Montreal steak rub. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I think, I think I've, I've been doing that same prime rib with the, with the, uh, uh, the mustard and the rosemary mm-hmm. and uh, those little oniony things. And uh, little oniony things. Well, what do you call those little guys? Why am I forgetting shallots? Their names? Shallots. Okay. Yeah. Little oniony guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I, we've been doing that for ten or fifteen years yeah. now. So I wanted to do something different. So I, I thought I, I thought that Montreal steak rub sounded really good, and then uh, I got my my uh, J. Kenji Lopez alt book out or alt lopez or however you spell it i don't know and uh i went through his lopez alt his technique of cooking the prime rib and it was out of this world yeah but there was one thing in the technique that he didn't warn you about you know for that very end of the of the cooking you're going to put it in the oven for six minutes at 500 degrees he forgot to tell you to turn off all your smoke detectors and open up all your windows. Because, man, when you open up that oven, boy, yeah. some smoke comes out of there. But it was worth it. We did not set off the, the alarm. No, we did The didn't. smoke alarm, and it that was, was good. so good because it has that crusty edge. Yeah. Oh, but it was so tender and, and perfectly cooked inside. And you were doing it at, what, 150 uh, yeah, I, I did it uh, 150 when it was going along too slow. I moved it to 200, and we finished it out that way. It took about four or five hours of roasting that way. And then to pull it for a half hour and let it rest and watch the thermometer go from 120 all the way to 133 wow. in a half hour. And then uh, we popped it back in for six minutes at 500, and when it came out, it was 135 inside and beautiful on the outside. Mm. I sliced it into nine slices. We had a, a three-bone rib, and uh, sliced it into nine slices. You and I had one each, and then we vacuum-packed the rest, and we didn't have a little prime rib party like every week, I think, for a while. I know, because we can uh, sous-vide it, and it doesn't overcook it. It keeps it exactly where it should be, and it's like having it brand new out of the oven. Yeah. You know, we're recording this show on New Year's Eve, and that's our dinner tonight. Yeah. So. And if you could see us right now, we have smiles on our faces. Yeah, and, and we're drooling. And, and that's after eating at Duke's for lunch. <laughs> we are a little out of control, but we're very happy holiday eaters. Well, let's see. I did have a failure. Mm. Um, I roasted some vegetables oh, yeah. in my, uh, my, my nice little microwave that actually has a convection oven built in. And they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't heat up the way they were supposed to heat up. Yeah. They didn't caramelize the way they were supposed to, and they were a bit of a disaster. And oddly enough, because you were very careful about cubing things the same size, but there were things that were done and things that were almost hard. Yeah. And that didn't make any sense to me either because it was all mixed in together. It wasn't like one side or the other. And I kind of had to use that microwave convection oven because we were uh, we had the – 
regular oven tied up with the prime rib yeah. in there. So. And nobody was going to mess with that prime rib. I'm just saying. No. We're not going to share that oven with anybody. No. Yeah, it's interesting. I did uh, Christmas Eve at my house, and I did some scampi, which turned out very well. And I bought some ridiculously expensive pre-picked Dungeness crab meat, just a little bit for each of us. And those two things were really, really good. Yeah. And my vegetable sucked. And then the next night, your prime rib was so good, and your vegetable sucked. Yeah. So I don't know what happened to us. We were focused on the entree, a, I guess. It was a bad Christmas for vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll try to do better vegetables. We'll try to do better in 2022. So, um, uh, so then we had some wine. Yeah, you talk about the first one. Okay, uh, you got a, an Abeja no, Merlot. That's one we had at Christmas. Your, it was yours. You you bought it at Abeja. I bought it. Okay. Yeah. Because we went to Abeja back in October. Yeah. And uh, you liked it at the winery, but it seemed a little light at Christmas dinner. I thought it would. I I just remember. Honestly, being sort of bowled over by almost every wine we tried there. And they were their library wines. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe this wasn't a library wine. I don't know. Um, but I just really liked their wine. So I was just ready for it. And it seemed kind of light. But I'm kind of thinking that they were pairing those wines at Abeja that day we were there with cheese. Yeah. And so maybe the prime rib just overwhelmed it. Yeah. Had I not, had I started it before I'd eaten some beef or, you know, something. Because I, I was a little surprised that it just didn't knock me out again. Yep. And then uh, when we had all that scampi and uh, crab on Christmas Eve, uh, yeah. you had bought me a Carnero Chardonnay. Yeah, I got two bottles of that at um, Total Wine. And I, I kind of like everything from the Carneros area. And it was good, but it was also quite light. Didn't knock me out like the way their wine used to. Yeah. I so our, really good. Well, actually, the one I'm thinking of is, isn't there anymore, Carneros Creek. Oh, yeah. This That's was just Carneros Chardonnay. Yeah. I don't know. We were both given it kind of a shoulder shrug. It, it, I wouldn't turn it down if I saw it someplace and somebody said, want a glass of Carneros Chardonnay? I'd say, sure. But it's not like I'm going to go out and buy it on purpose again. And then somewhere along the way there, we had some uh, Robert Mondavi 2019 Buttery Chardonnay. Yeah. That was nine ninety nine at um, Total Wine. And, you know, uh, we've been talking lately that in the olden days, buttery, oaky was the thing. And then it went totally away, and people were doing Chardonnay and stainless steel all the time. And it's coming back a little. So we and we were with somebody who said, "I just want buttery Chardonnay." So we—that's why we got this because we thought, "Hey, it's got to be buttery. It's the name." But actually, um, <laughs> there's a lot of that going on right now. Yeah, you, and you were saying, you know, it has some malolactic going on, but it's kind of watery. And I was saying, despite that, it didn't taste buttery. So that was kind of a downward shoulder shrug. Well, the malolactic gives it a buttery essence. Even if it's done in a steel. Yeah. That's just the way that works. But so. it didn't taste that way to me at all. Yeah. I don't know. But you have to keep trying. Yep, exactly. <laughs> you just got to keep going on the wine. What can we say? Well, let's take a little break, and when we come back, we got a whole bunch of news bites and a couple of calendar items. 
Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... A bit of taste, Queen Anne Olive Oil Company. Take a field trip to the top of Queen Anne and sample a diverse range of ultra-premium, extra-virgin olive oil, balsamic vinegars, and gourmet food products from around the world. Find them at 1629 Queen Anne Ave North or online at abitoftaste.com. Hi, I'm Justin Basil. I'm from the east side of Washington State, and when I come to Seattle... I love to visit Mauro down at Asagio's. They have wonderful Italian food, great heritage, and it's a beautiful location. Hi, this is Chef Josh Henderson, and you are listening to The Seattle Dining Show. Connie Adams on the January Seattle Dining Show. We are heading into the News Bites discussion, and remember that you can keep up with our News Bites as they happen by reading the column at seattledining.com backslash News Bites. What's happening? Well, there's a whole bunch going on. Excellent. Yeah. So uh, late in November, rotating menus returned to Cook's Tavern in Tacoma and Enderline Joe's in West Seattle. So they had pretty much just kind of locked these menus down and kept them the same through the pandemic the whole time, right? I think that's what the thing was, and they weren't – I mean, they may have done some specials and stuff, but Peter Levy, and, and when he was in the partnership and since they've split up, um, you know, he always had those rotating menus at the Five Spot and Coastal Kitchen when they were had – Shared ownership of the restaurant group that always had those rotating menus. Right. So um, you know they like at the five spot. It was always hey, it's Austin, Texas this yeah, month. Thematic type menus. Yeah. So that's what's kind of went away, and now it's coming back, which is nice. And I did um, touch base with Peter recently, and there's still no news really on Five Spot. It's he still got the space. It's he got just the not space. Open. It's just not open, and it's you know. I'd say it's looking a little iffy, but I'm hoping it'll still maybe come back. Um, In December, Cupcake Royale opened its fifth location. This one's in downtown Burien near Town Square Park, and they even have a special cupcake, the B-Town German Chocolate Cake, that's only available there. So, you know, even if you have one in your neighborhood, you've got to go all the way to Burien. I used to love to have German chocolate cake. My mother used to make it. Yeah, you know, that must have been a very big thing at that time because my mom made German chocolate cake. And then I started to make it, of course, out of a box because it it actually accounts for why 15% of the people in the country have diabetes. Yeah, because they they eat German food. (laughs) I'm I'm pretty sure. German chocolate cake. I'm pretty sure that's German food. That's a summation (laughs) of salt and fat and (laughs) sugar and flour. Hey, I think there's some nuts in there too, though. Wasn't it kind of healthy because of that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, on a whole cake, there was maybe like, I don't know, a quarter cup of nuts. Yeah. But I'm sure it got even better when they started making Pillsbury dough German chocolate cake and Heinz German. That, that Those yeah. were probably really healthy. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm thinking anyway. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, E3 Restaurant Group. These are the people that own the Met, Elliot's, and Wingdome. 
purchased the lobster shop in Tacoma, taking over operations on December 13th. Connie will have an article in the January issue of Seattle Dining. I will indeed. It was very fun. I met with Jim Rowe downtown at the Met when it was closed, which is always kind of fun. You know, you don't ever really get to hang out in restaurants when they're closed. Um, so that was it was really interesting to talk to him because he's the guy who bought it a number of years ago from the family who'd had it, you know, the people who'd had it, the mm. Cones had had it for years. And he was their finance guy. And when the when it was time to retire, he was kind of the logical choice to take <laughs> over. And he said, I, I want to buy it, you know, so – uh, Serafina is now open daily with happy hour Monday through Friday. And I kind of bring this up. We don't talk about every single restaurant that goes back to their regular uh, schedules, but it's I've seen a lot of this, like what Serafina's doing, and they come back a little at a time mm-hmm. to see how they do. I think and it if, depends on how many employees they can get. Yeah, you know? and and are people coming out? Are people dining out? Okay, now it seems to be a little looser. Okay, we'll add lunch back in or we'll do, you know. So, oh yeah, because they—that's right. Because Serafina used to do lunch. Yeah, they haven't done lunch in ages, and it, they only started happy hour a few months ago. We we reported it on that's the show because right. we went out on the first night of their uh, happy hour. Yep. Yeah. All right, the uh, Dutch hotel brand goes by the name of Citizen M to open a second boutique hotel in Seattle in early 2022. This one's going to be in Pioneer Square on Yesler Way. The first one is actually located down in South Lake Union. This one's going to be 10 stories high, 232 rooms. So that means there will be 23.2 rooms <laughs> per floor. Um, <laughs> nearby, Urban Villages is creating a micro-district project with office space, apartments, restaurants, and retail. All of this is due to waterfront redevelopment. You know, another article that's coming out in January, I talked to Jason who owns Copperworks Distillery, and they're down on Alaskan Way. And he was talking, and then Jim of E3 was talking about, you know, because Elliot's is down there. Everybody's like really got their fingers crossed for this waterfront development. It's really going to change some things. And Jim was telling – or no, Jason was telling me that they're actually moving the street where cars will go closer to the east side, and then it'll be a walkway along the waterfront side. And that'll be a park area all along from, like, Sam all the way down quite a ways. So if if it all happens, it's going to be just a wonderful thing. Hmm. Let's see. We'll, we'll have to see. I haven't been down there in some time. Yeah, right now it's a it's a nightmare. You know, I mean, it's just so hard to park like it is everywhere. But everything you used to know about the waterfront is not like it used to be. So, um, the first week in December, Ascend Hospitality opened a Stanford's in Tacoma in the former Pacific Grill location on Pacific Avenue. So this is the fifth Stanford's location. There's one in Northgate, and the rest are in Oregon, Hillsboro, Clackamas, and Portland. So the one that was down in the South Center is gone? Yeah. I think we reported on it a couple of months ago. I'm blanking right now what it turned into, but mm. it's something else entirely. There's I don't think it's I haven't been to in a while. South Center. Yeah. I really need to get out. I have to say, and this is you know, probably not fair, but every time I 
for some reason maybe thought I needed to go to South Center, there'd be another shooting. And I was just like, okay, I don't need to go to South Center that badly. I think that's why I didn't go down to uh, Pioneer Square in the last few years. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Anyways, uh, remember the Woodenville Wine Village that never was? It has been worked on quietly in the background and is called Harvest. It's going to be on 20 acres. The utilities and roads are under construction. Probably three projects under construction in 2022 and two more in 2023. The yard, which is, I guess, the center of this, kind will of an be outdoor the area. central gathering space over three levels of underground parking. So if it snows, you'll be stuck. <laughs> 60% of, of it will be retail uh, – 60% of the retail space has been pre-leased. Anchor Project is the Somme, a hotel and spa by Marriott Autograph Collection. Columbia Hospitality will manage that. 165 rooms. That starts construction in June. Harvest to include residential areas with townhouses, three to five bedroom houses, condo flats, high end apartments, and restaurants. So, if you bought your your home, you know, twenty years ago out in uh, Woodenville, boy, things sure ain't the same anymore, no. are they? And you're about to get a boost. I hope you um, like new stuff. <laughs> well. Here's something everyone's been wondering about. What's going to happen to the old Arby's on 4th Avenue in South Seattle? Well, it is going to be Aliberto's Mexican food, and this is a chain. Um, They seem to be big elsewhere, but there is um, another one in Renton, and the same people own Numos on the Ave and one in Tacoma and one in Lakewood. So these are people who've done stuff here in this area before. Well, if it's a new Rexton restaurant, I'll go. Yeah, we got to try it. The uh, Their website says it's not typical American-Mexican food. So we'll see. It is a big chain. So okay. we'll see. So that could be bad or good. It, well, I'm, I'm sure <laughs> it's meant to be good. You know, it's not a, a kind of Mexican-American is basically your burrito, your taco. I hope they wash the beans. Yeah. Let's put it in on their contact. Let's call the show Wash the Beans. (laughs) Viff, a restaurant in Fremont, closed at the end of December. It opened back in 2013, so it it made it about nine years. But uh, like so many things in this town, redevelopment is taking over and changing Seattle as you once knew it. Oh. You know, the other thing, like redevelopment that keeps happening, is this damned retirement thing, people aging. So Cafe Press, which opened in 2007, will close in February. This is Jim Droman and Joanne Heron. They've got Le Pichet downtown. Jim, the first time I interviewed him, he just made me laugh so hard about how he got into cooking and, and, and learned, actually, in France. And they're just, you know, looking at retirement a little longer range. Um, their lease on Le Pichet goes through 2023, but they had to renew their lease for Cafe Press, and it was going to be five years, and they didn't want to commit to mm-hmm. five years. So um, Chef Grayson Corrales, who's the former pastry chef at June Baby, plans to take over the spot. It's her first restaurant as owner. She won't be in the kitchen. It'll be called 
I'm, I'm probably going to mispronounce this, Maripili. It's tapas menu with a Spanish-American fusion of flavors. They'll open for dinner, then brunch, then happier. She's going to do this in, you know, like we were talking earlier, in, in pieces and see how it goes. There'll be exclusive Spanish and Washington wines. There'll be a focus on gin and tonics. Dang, I wish my mom was still alive. She'd be <laughs> living there. And then uh, Sherry's. So it'll be very interesting to see how that goes. She's going to redo the inside and get away from, you know, uh, press was really about an all-day thing where you could just go in and hang out, have an omelet, you know, mm-hmm. have some chicken and just hang out all day. They had magazines and, and paper newspapers there from all over that you could read. Um, this is not going to be like that. She's going to redo the interior and make it more of a you know restaurant restaurant. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, um, if you don't want to go check, do you know when that's going to open up? Charcoal. It's open. Oh, okay. So, um, anyways, if you're looking to explore outside, there head on up to Edmonds. There is a new bistro called Charcoal. That's what's open now. Is that what you were asking me? No, I was asking you about At, about the tapas place. Uh, it'll be Pilly. it'll be February after press closes. Okay. So up in Edmonds, Charcoal, a new bistro done by Chef Jake Wilson, formerly of Ray's Boathouse, Vios Cafe, and the Ballard Annex Oyster House. Seafood and meat are getting good reviews. Yeah, so people seem to be happy with that. We'll have to check it out. The I read this um, – I don't remember where it was, if it was Seattle Met or Seattle Times or something. I think it was Seattle Times. I think it was Tan Vin was saying – calling it a swanky bistro. Mm. So I don't know if that means it's humongously expensive or it's just very cool inside or what. But Edmonds can handle a swanky bistro. They certainly can. Yeah. So we got a couple of things on the calendar. Yeah, and remember that you can always go out and check out seattledining.com backslash calendar because we update throughout the month. But right now there's not a lot going on. What do you have for the – Start of things. Uh, well, what I see is pour for North Shore at the Woodenville Wine Walk, going to be 6 to 8 p.m. Bring a glass or buy one for $5. God, I want you to walk around and bring your own glass in. I mean, get some of those some of those Govi plastic wine glasses. Oh, yeah. Uh, and is- for $30 in advance or 35 bucks at the door, you get six tasting tickets for one-and-a-half-ounce pours. Tickets are on Eventbrite. And this is on January 15th. I was messing with this and took that out. Oh, yeah. That would be. Yeah. The other thing happening on January 15th, if you don't want to be in Woodenville, you can go to Ellensburg. They're doing the Winter Hot Brew Fest from noon to 5 in downtown. Artisan beers from over 20 craft breweries and some live music. $45. And we've got the link online to get your tickets. All right, so uh, not a lot of events on the calendar this month. However, Connie and I are going to be back in just a moment, and we've got some ideas to inspire your 2022 culinary passion. Exactly, and if you don't want, if you want to do something that somebody else has set up, go take a cooking class or go on a culinary tour down at the market or something. Yeah, we'll yeah. talk more about that in a minute. All right. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by 
Dock and Drink, a unique, lodge-themed, heated and tented outdoor space along Lake Washington's southern end with stunning views of the lake, Olympic Mountains, and downtown Seattle skyline. This casual dockside restaurant changes throughout the year to take advantage of favorite seasonal ingredients in their bites, small shareables, flatbreads, and desserts. Creatively handcrafted cocktails, local beer and wine, and zero-proof mocktails complete your visit. Dock and Drink is located on the dock at the Hyatt Regency Lake Washington in Renton. Find them online at dockanddrink.com. Hi, my name is John Blair from Walla Walla, and when I visit Seattle, one of my favorite places is Wild Ginger. Hi, this is Brian Carter from Brian Carter Cellars, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. Back on the Seattle Dining Show, I'm Tom Marin, the publisher. I'm here with Connie Adams, the front of the house. <laughs> and we are going to be discussing a whole bunch of different ideas that you could consider for 2022 to move your culinary game to the next level. Yeah. So these are just ideas. We're going to throw them out to you. If something sounds good to you, act on it. <laughs> if you try to act on all 10, you get a free pizza. <laughs> From somebody. Probably Domino's. They'll, <laughs> yeah. they'll deliver it for $8. Yeah. <laughs> well, the first thing I was thinking about was a continuation because we started this last year. But we're going to keep trying at least one new place to eat each month. You know, something we wouldn't it's normally not hard go for to. us to do, although, you know, we kind of failed that in December. But. Yeah. Something happened there. I can't even remember. But now, with so many new places coming online, a lot of new places. Yeah. Just some of them are in strip malls, and I don't want to go. Well, that's the thing. That's going to be a little th- hump we have to get over. Why? You tell me I have to go to strip malls now? Or neighborhoods that you don't normally go to. I'll do or, that. But yeah. I just, you know, if it's just another fa place in a strip mall, I'm not really oh, no. keen on it. No, no, no. It's got to have something that speaks to us, you know. But I also think we should try things that are maybe not sort of normally up our alley, and we should just try them. Yeah, sometimes we have to pack the armored truck to go there. Like, remember we went down to uh, Autumn in uh, Finney, and uh, wow, man, what a bill that was, huh? Yeah, and you know what? It's a a hard balance for me because the entrees we had there were really good. They really were. Um, but it's uh, it's not something we can do all the time because it's just too no. expensive. But that's okay because the people in that neighborhood have money and they can support it. Greenwood? We don't have to. Or Finney? Oh, yeah. A lot of money in Finney? We I think there that. is. Oh, okay. Some nice little craftsmen's off to the sides. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, well, one of my ideas is uh, I, I come across this all the time uh, – particularly with younger people, um, got to up your wine game. If you're not, you know, if, if you feel like you don't know anything about wine, get yourself a nice little Wine 101 book and start learning. Uh, there's lots of stuff you could watch on YouTube where you could learn more about wine. There's, 
There's all kinds of different, and of course, going to wineries. Yeah. But it really is nice going into a winery if you can already kind of talk the talk. Yeah. So when they tell you that something has more tannins in it or it's a little more acidic, uh, you can kind of learn your way around all those things. And, and you'll start to develop your palate for wine mm-hmm. more when you do that. You know, I don't know how many people do this anymore and certainly in the last couple of years nobody's been doing it probably but i was very into brasa down on third yep which turned into orfeo yep um and brian the psalm there he would do wine tastings and i don't remember what the price was but i went to enough of them they couldn't have been horribly expensive mm-hmm. and he would pick a theme kind of and then when you'd go in, he'd have a placemat with the, you know, little circles where your wine glasses would go, yep. and he would have some uh, a place for you to write. And then he'd just go through these wines one by one. And I remember doing a rosé one, and that was this was so many years ago, but it was the first time I'd really realized that rosé could be something other than icky sweet. Mm-hmm. And it was like, what these beautiful dry rosés? I learned a lot from him. Yeah. So that kind of thing is really fun to do if you can find somebody who's doing it. And and learning how to tell what the flavors are on your tongue if they're mm-hmm. sweet, if they're dry, what parts of your tongue where that activates at. That's always interesting stuff that they, you mm-hmm. don't you don't nobody's going to just automatically teach you that out at the wine tasting. Right. But if you learn it ahead of time, and then you go into the wine taste and you'd be like, oh yeah, I, I know yeah. what this, you know. So and sometimes too, you know, your palates can be so different. It's like uh, you and I tend to generally like the same things, but I learned this from Penny Rawson because she was the caterer out at Columbia Winery, mm-hmm. and she worked with David Lake, and. She said a couple times to me before she kind of stopped drinking was, you and I have a very similar palate. Hmm. And I was like, oh, interesting, because I never thought about it. I just thought, you know, like wine hit everybody the same way or something. And it was like, no. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my next one kind of goes along with my first one, which was trying someplace new. But I think it's fun to explore new neighborhoods, too. Uh, both for culinary and wine, there's a lot of great little wine shops or wine tasting rooms in, mm. that we haven't tried out. Because usually if we go out, we're going for a meal. And maybe we just want to go and have some, they'll have a, you know, snacky stuff, and you can try some of the wines. You know, a little wine room like that, like the Robert Ramsey in my building, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so that's kind of a fun thing to do. And, of course, different neighborhoods sort of, some some have a real diverse group of restaurants, some maybe pockets of a certain type of ethnic restaurant. It's really fun to go out and see what's happening in various neighborhoods. And with the light rail now, yeah, you could actually do a little light, light rail culinary tour, pop on at Northgate or wherever you live mm-hmm. and go up and down between there and, and the Central District. And uh, there's Columbia whole, City and, yeah, oh, wow. There's a whole lot of... Places you could visit in a in a day. Yeah, you could do a breakfast, lunch, and dinner light rail trip. Yeah, you know that would be fun, actually. Uh, you, you could take a nap on the light rail. Everybody does. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, here's a, here's one to think about. Um, learn a new cooking technique. So, if you've never done sous vide before, explore it. Get one. I gotta believe these things must be popping up in the Salvation Army stores all the time now. I betcha. 
Um, people get them, they don't know what to do with them, and they just turn them into the secondhand store. But, I mean, they're not that expensive online either if you want to buy a new one. Uh, America's Test Kitchen makes a really good book called Sous Vide for Everybody that goes into not only a, a, a whole bunch of uh, recipes but also techniques and, and the why and the how of how to use mm-hmm. one correctly. And uh, so, I mean, that would be one technique you could learn. You know, another one would be like uh, everybody's all air fryer crazy. So let's yeah. – I have an air fryer. I haven't used it yet. It's in my oven. So tonight we're going to have some uh, sweet potato fries that I'm going to do in the air fryer. Yeah. I don't know how yet because I haven't had time to look it up. <laughs> but I will. But we'll find out. Um, if you want to do something really easy too, there's a lot of stuff that you don't need special equipment for. If you don't brine, learn how to brine your chicken, yeah, exactly. you know, or look up braising and find out why that's a good technique for tougher cuffs of meat. And what's that, uh, what's that way you cook the fish where it's just the lime juice actually cooks the fish? Oh, like ceviche, ceviche. Ceviche, yeah. So that's yeah. a whole cooking technique too. I saw yeah. like a ceviche beef recipe one day. Oh really? Mm-hmm. It was like it was like 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 tartar type yeah. shredded beef like that, but then they did it in a they did it like a ceviche. Oh, interesting. I don't think of tartar as being shredded, but something to learn. So yeah, those are. I think that's a great idea. Thinly sliced. Thinly sliced. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I'd like to do is improve my knowledge of what goes with what. Like one of the things that I'm doing a lot right now is trying to find ways. To use flavored vinegars, balsamics, and oils. And mm-hmm. I'll think, well, this calls this recipe calls for a little bit of oil. Now, could I put in uh, something like caracara olive oil? Or could I use, this is what happened to the carrots the other night, the mm-hmm. elderberry and um, Basil olive oil. So yeah, you, you mixed a you mixed a fruit with an herb, which is gets was, really tricky. Yeah, that In, didn't unless work. you're into like your savory herbs like cinnamon, yeah, ginger, cardamom. Mm-hmm. You could do those with fruit, but I I don't think the basil. No, was and I, I did mix them a little and tasted it before I cooked it, and I thought it was okay, but it wasn't. So um, you know that's how you learn, though. So make your mistakes, mm-hmm. and that's what I'd like to get better at—is not making more mistakes, but learning from and retaining the knowledge from that. And you know, you just have to do stuff. Yeah, you gotta you gotta make yeah. some mistakes along the way yeah. for sure. And we like to create our own recipes, but generally when we do it, we go out and look up five or six recipes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of the same kind of thing, and then say, well, what appeals to us, and how do we want to put that together? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd like to improve that. Um, well, you mentioned this one briefly during the calendar segment, but I brought it. I had it written down already. It's a, take a cooking class. Yeah. It's got a lot of them over at PCC. Yeah, and also, if you really want to have some fun, go to Sir Latab in Kirkland, because the in-house teacher is now Peter Levine. Oh, okay. Well, that'd be fun. He would. He's. I just don't so want to be around him when he's wielding knives. But other than that, <laughs> I think he's safe. I think he's safe. Yeah. Um, I would like. You've done a really good job of this, and I have not done it yet. But I'd like to go through my kitchen and take out, you know, those drawers, which I do clean out periodically, but they're always a mess. All my 
utensils and things like that and decide what I really want. What do I have more than one of maybe? What do Mm -hmm. I need more than one of? And really get all my tools and equipment to where I'd like it to be. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a bigger scope sometimes because like you've put up a, a sh- you've hung a shelf on a wall and that's where your pans are. It's really handy. I just don't have that space in my kitchen. I don't have a place. Our kitchens aren't that different sizes, but I right. don't have a place to hang stuff. Right. So um, and you know, one time we cleaned out your spice cabinet, mm-hmm. and yeah. we went to the the sort of the the sealed envelopes, mm-hmm. and that saves a ton of space. I was in a house the other day where the kitchen had, oh, probably four square feet of spices in it. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's two. Well, yeah, it was about four square feet. And uh, that's way more, you know, I mean, yeah, if you're high volume cooking, you'll need that. But if you're just, uh, you know, you like to cook at home. Usually you can get away with having a, a, a you know a little plastic envelope of two or three tablespoons of whatever spice. That's all you need in the kitchen most mm-hmm. of the time, because most of your recipes are going to call for a tablespoon, a teaspoon, a quarter teaspoon, and you want to keep your spices fresh and rotating all the time. So mm-hmm. you, you just buy them in bulk at a good market like a Central Market or a PCC, mm. and, uh, and you just get two or three tablespoons at a time. Um, stuff like that. So, you know, yeah, yeah it, I know you were talking about the tools, but I'm talking yeah. about space too. It's still, yeah, it's still the same thing. And and also, it's I find that I really enjoy going and looking at the bulk spices and picking out something, you know, if I'm looking for something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not fun when you go out and you think, okay, I do need just a teaspoon, and all you can find is a bottle for $15. I don't want to do that. And you're going to throw most you're of it out. You're going to throw most of it away. I, or you're going to use it when it's stale. If yeah, you're <laughs> if you're me. I mean, I bet three times now in my life I've just gone and dumped all my spices. And and they were all older than they should have been. You know, yeah. I kept them way too long. So not worth it. All right. Um My next one is uh, Get Inspired by a Pro. Mm. So nowadays with YouTube, and there's all these chefs that are, you know, the world didn't end when Anthony Bourdain died. And also I think that what I learned from some of these other chefs, I learned a lot lot more from them. Um, You can get America's Test Kitchen uh, for free as an app on your Roku or whatever you use to stream with. Um, you can go to YouTube and watch Jay Kenji Alt Lopez Lopez Alt. Uh, you can watch that. There's so many you know chefs that are out there that are are doing a really good job. And the thing that I like about the ATK and the, and the Jay Kenji is that these guys really test the heck out of what they're doing. Yeah. And to me, that's that's way more important than uh, getting somebody's you know, old recipe off of, off of the web somewhere. So, so, uh, I, I, I find myself often, I get inspired by a pro, mm-hmm. you know, it was, uh, Steven Reichlin. I learned most of my barbecue chops from him mm-hmm. and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I'm the greatest at doing barbecue, but I really understand doing barbecue way better now because I spent the time to yeah. go through about 27 episodes. Yeah, you did. I think you saw almost everything. Yeah, and that actually brings me to my last one, which we've kind of talked about a little bit, but just 
getting more creative in terms of thinking about what I'd like to make. Spend a little more time planning. It doesn't mean you have to plan it and make it next week. Plan it out and do it next month if you want to, you know. But give some thought to what you think you might want to make. What do you like? What do you want to eat? What, what things do you like together? And then put my own recipe together, mm-hmm. you know. And again, go out, see what other people have done, throw your own ideas in there, and then see what you come up with. And then, as you just said, test it out a couple times. Yeah. We test it out on each other, which is nice that we can do that. And we've talked about this before, but there have been several times we've had to say, nice try, let's go out. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. But like we tested out those roasted vegetables that I ended up doing in the microwave on Christmas. Mm -hmm. Oh, so good. But when we did them in the oven, they were super good. Super good. Yeah. So. But, you know, there again, personal taste comes in like that was like, yams or sweet was it yams or sweet potatoes it had beets in it now i like beets yeah but with the other things i felt like the beets came off way too earthy and i could eat it it wasn't like it was a, a miserable on the first try on or the, the first second? try the first oh, really? try i liked I, them i just felt it was a little earthy and they didn't go as well it was like jarring when i'd get a beet in my mouth didn't go with the other stuff to me huh. so um that's another thing you know get to know what you like and and use that recipe for me. I would make that recipe again. I just wouldn't put beets in. The rest of it was fabulous. I want it with the beets. Yeah, and you know what? I don't have to eat the beets if or I. Or I could want do them. I could do that same recipe with just a, a couple of different multicolored beets. Yeah, and do beets only. Yeah, that would be delicious. I mean, there's a lot of things. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Okay, my last one here is uh, do more food prepping. Um, uh, yeah. I, 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 I don't do enough of it, but I'm I'm getting better at it all the time, and that's just taking, you know, and making a big whack of guacamole and freezing it in uh, quarter-cup ice trays. And same thing with rice, same things with beans. So that way I have a whole bunch of Mexican food available if I want it and I don't want to have to, you know, spend two hours making a meal. I've already got it available. I just have to defrost it, you know, either – naturally in the morning or i could defrost in the microwave but i would prefer to go slow um and there's all kinds of things you can do that with so you know marinara sauce you can make your own marinara sauce instead of buying store-bought cut down the salt have a better quality product yeah and then freeze the rest in ice trays and you can go organic yeah yeah so you know i was just thinking about your light rail tour Mm -hmm. idea this is like the modern-day progressive dinner. You know, get friends who live in Northgate, Columbia City, all these places along the light rail, and have a, have a piece of a meal with your friends. Yeah. You know, if you start at Northgate, make all your South End friends come up, start there with you, have appe- drink someplace, have an appetizer someplace, have the entree, have dessert someplace in the South End, and then the South End people go home, and you guys all ride back to Northgate. No, I go to the South End and take a nap at their house. Yeah. And demand breakfast in the morning. That's what I'm saying. All right. Well, we, <laughs> we're, we're going to take a little break. We're going to take a little nap. No, we're just going to take a little break. And uh, when we come back, we've got some tips and tricks. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... Pogata Restaurant and Bar, located on Mercer Island. Locally owned and operated since 1997, Pogacha offers unmatched Northwest cuisine with an Adriatic flair. Quality food prepared simply, freshly, and with care means every visit is memorable. 
Come revel in their relaxed atmosphere while enjoying hand-selected fish, brine chicken, and scratch sauces. More information is available online at pogacha.com. Hi, I'm Nicole, and I live in Everett. I like to go to Emery's by Silver Lake. I'm Kelsey Jones from Seattle Magazine, and you're listening to The Seattle Dining Show. like to end the show with some tips here on the Seattle Dining Show. So one of the things I was thinking about because of something that happened to us the other night, um, a lot of us get excited about going out, That and I say me, um, and so I'll look at menus online before we go, and, and it's, you know, you get excited about stuff. Oh, yeah, they've got a bunch of stuff I'd like. Oh, this one really appeals to me. And then you have to realize when you go out, things aren't normal in the restaurant world. So some websites aren't kept up to date. Some don't mention they're closed for a week. Some haven't been able to get the items they need for some of their dishes. Staff shortages sometimes mean there's a slowdown in the kitchen. Things are coming, but they're not ready yet. The list goes on. So my tip is pick a spot, call them to ensure they're open, make a reservation, and then anticipate your time. I mean, I used to love to go out mostly just to peruse menus. I used to, people would say, are you ready to order? No, let me look at the whole thing. <laughs> uh, you know, I love that part of it. And so it's like, let's go back way, backwards a little bit and, and not know everything, not be able to get all that information and just go and really enjoy every minute of your time at that restaurant. Yeah. And don't expect it to be what you saw online. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's it, they're not keeping it up, and yeah. um, we were out the other night, and I said, "Yeah, I think I'm going to have this." And they go, "Yeah, no, we're out of that. no they yeah. weren't out. They were just it was not done. It was something that took a long time to cook, and they usually started earlier in the day. They didn't have people in, or uh, they didn't get okay. the ingredients in time, or something. So I eventually did have that, but it. Yeah, but I 20, wanted the lasagna, and they didn't have They didn't have that. They should have walked over to Safeway and just bought some Storfers. <laughs> I mean, who's going to know? You, because you <laughs> did it at the rally. <laughs> All right. Well, my tip is, uh, you know, here at at our kitchen, we have multiple thermometers. We have the instant read that you can poke in. We have the infrared thermometer. We have the probe that you can put into your roast and then watch the temperature go up as it's cooking. And all of these thermometers involve batteries. Now, my day-to-day ones, I'll just keep the batteries in them, my, my infrared and my stick-it-in-there-and-check-it type thermometer. But the roast thermometer... I only use that maybe once a month. So I have found that, you know, I I usually store that down in my drawer below the oven. And there's stuff knocking around in there all the time, and it can get pushed on, and it doesn't go off automatically. Mm. So my my tip this month is on your – on whatever thermometers it's necessary to do it, pull the battery out when you're not using it. And I just keep them in a, uh, a quart-sized plastic bag, the thermometer, the battery, the little oh, 
cover that goes on. And that way, it's always ready to go for me when I'm ready to use it again. Yeah, that is really distracting. When you go and you're ready to set up all, your roast is ready to go in and the batteries are dead. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing I do is I use lithium batteries in all my thermometers because I don't don't like putting in an alkaline battery and having that fail after six months or or a year or who knows. So uh, that's another tip. That's another tip. I'm telling you. (laughs) The show is full of tips. All right. All right. It's time to wrap up. Thank you for joining us on the first show of the year. Remember that um, you can subscribe to our online magazine for free. Just go to seattledining.com and click on subscribe free. All right, everybody. Welcome to 2022. We'll meet you back here in February when we have our special romance culinary show. Ooh. I'm, I'm interested. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Seattle Dining Show. This program is a copyrighted production of Mixed Media and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without written permission of the legal owner, all right? However, feel free to share the link with all your friends on Facebook. Studio equipment for this broadcast was purchased locally at American Music, a Fremont icon. The views and opinions expressed on this show are exclusive to the hosts and guests and do not reflect those of former employees of Bill the Butcher, the Surrogate Hostess, the Beeline Diner, Louie's Chinese Cuisine, the Doghouse, the Five Mile House, Charlie's, the Twin Teepees, Ocean Air, Benjamin's, the Madison Park Cafe, or any other lost Seattle icon. Subscribe free to our monthly magazine online at seattledining.com and join us next time for another edition of the Seattle Dining Show.